Hello and welcome to a Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Let's not waste any time and get right to our guest, uh, popular Admirals defenseman. It seems like so long ago. It wasn't that long ago, but it seems like so long ago Victor Bartley was playing here in Milwaukee. And he joins us now. Bartz, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. How are things? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, things are great. Back in Nashville right now during the quarantine uh, with my family here. we got a one-year-old baby girl, so uh, all things are good in the world. That's great. I, I tell you what, um, we're going to cut right to the chase. When, I, when people think of Victor Bartley in Milwaukee, the, there's a video that comes to mind, I know. But I want to start somewhere else. My favorite Victor Bartley thing, I have two. One, I don't know if you remember this, but remember those cameras? And I think they were called Zoom cameras everybody had for a while. You yes. plugged into the side. Yeah. I had one of those when we were flying to Vancouver to play in Abbotsford. I don't even if you remember this, Bartz, but it was like the first, maybe it was the first trip of the season. And you were in front of me and you turned around and I was filming just, you know, just silly, this is day in the life type of stuff. And you, you, uh, with your tongue, you popped out your teeth, your, your whole <laughs> mouthpiece, your whole, your, the whole bridge came right out and you, you kind of wiggled it around like you were Gene Simmons a little bit and then popped it right back in without, without the hands. It was pretty neat. But yeah, the other unfortunately, thing, I'm still missing those teeth still today. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I want to talk about is when you became a fan favorite in Grand Rapids, Michigan, by getting hit against the glass and becoming the number one uh, target slash uh, fan favorite of a couple of guys drinking a beer against the glass in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's right. I met those guys after the game. I remember that. I think I gave them a stick, actually. It was the most random thing that – that would make you a popular player in Grand Rapids, but hey, whatever works. So well, what, tell me some backstory. Share the story, yeah, yeah, share the story here because they were giving I, giving you the business all game. Oh, these guys for some reason I don't even know what it was, but they were just all over me from the start. And at the time, I think it was only my second year at the time there. Like I, I was having a good season, but not enough to be like you know hated on by other teams. And also, these three guys who were just getting wasted the whole game just kept hammering me all night long. And then after the game. The arrow player bus just kind of waiting and hanging out. They had Bartley signs. There. There's, a, there's a key. Hold on a second. There's a key point I think that we need to hit. Uh, they were sitting on the glass, and they were yeah, resting. Like, I think they were I resting got, like, their got, beers got, on the glass. Yeah. Did I get hit or I hit somebody? You, you got hit. As far as I remember, you got hit into the glass, and their beers went all over them. Yeah, exactly. And I, th I think they blamed me actually and said I owe them a bunch of beers after I just got nailed. <laughs> But they waited for you. They waited for they, you by they, the bus. They waited, and you know what? They were great guys at, at, after the whole thing. They waited about an hour after the game. So we, <laughs> we had a little ham session outside, and it was all good. <laughs> I just I love that. I love just how random, how, how strange it can be. The, oh, that's for sure. But, you know, all good guys, and the love of hockey, it all came together, and it was all fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to wait to go to the video. But since Aaron brought it up, like, I, I, honestly, I've been doing this for 20 years, and the greatest video we've ever done was the Gangnam-style video. And we've done a lot of good videos, like a lot of great videos, and I still contend that was the greatest video we've ever done. And it happened, like I had said, hey, you know, you want to do this? And you're like, sure, we'll do it. And then the owner, Harris, put a little bit of pressure on, uh, on me and was like, hey, let's, when are we doing this? Let's get this done. And I just came to you one day and I was like, hey, everything's coming together. Can you do this? But little did I know is that maybe you had had a few cocktails the night before and maybe. Well, it was, well, it was, it was like, what was it? New, it was Halloween. Yeah, it was, it was. So and that was your I side costume. Gone, 
I had gone to Cy for Halloween that I remember you, you had mentioned the night before. You're like, yeah, we're going to shoot tomorrow. And I'm like, you realize you have a team Halloween party tonight. And then I was like, all right, well, this is going to be fun. And I remember I came to the arena in the same clothes from the night before. And everyone in the coaches were looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? And then I, like, I was like, I got to shoot this video for Harris wants me to do this video today. Charlie's been all over me. So I remember I showed up just looking like I needed about four showers to get ready. And then somehow we banged out a practice, a workout, and then like three hours of shooting after somehow. I don't even know how we got through that day, but it, it, it somehow was, did it. It was, and I'll tell you my favorite part from that video, and you probably haven't seen it in quite some time, but we no, made all the- you have though, haven't you? Oh yeah. Our, we were like, you know, game 56 of this season, all of a sudden we're, I think we're in Siberia. And all of a sudden we like, do that's pregame not a, videos. That's not a joke either. Like you're literally oh, no, in that's Siberia. A joke. Oh, I got more stories about that, how we actually played a home game in Siberia instead of China this year. So yeah, we had, a, we had home games in multiple different countries this year because of COVID-19 came in. But anyways, yeah, back to the story about we're sitting there and we're doing pregame video and out of the blue, Kurt Fraser, our head coach, just throws on. He's like, we got some highlights, highlights of Bart's here. And I'm like, okay, like I'm wondering what this is going to be. Right. And all of a sudden he throws on Gangnam Style. And I'm like, this has been like seven years since I've heard about this video. So I'm like, I'm in the clear. And I'm like, how the hell did you? And it was like our Russian video guy had found it. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even Fraz that found it. And I'm like, how did you find this? Like, what are you staying up late at night Googling my name? Right. So that's how it all came to be. And I was like, I was like, wow, that was, I'm like, I was a lot thinner back then. That's all I can remember. <laughs> well, Fraz, he was the former Admirals coach, uh, as a matter of fact. And he was made famous, uh, like played probably a, a million times. Cause one, I, I don't remember the circumstances. Maybe you do Aaron. This is before your time also, but yeah. bad call by the referees. And he just starts taking the sticks and the, and the water bottles and chucking them on the ice, just goes into total meltdown mode. And uh, so that would play at the Bradley Center forever. And then when he was hired as Grand Rapids, <laughs> then we uh, then we played it obviously at least two or three times every Cranked time it we up played a little them. more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you have to. I'm sure he would have loved to do that a couple times this year too. But I think <laughs> with, with age, he's he's calmed down a bit and learned to, to learn to learn to play hockey politics a little bit overseas. Yeah. Anyways, I'll tell you my favorite part about that video. Obviously, your dancing was wonderful, but uh, we're in the, we have the scene in the bus. Right. And, oh, yeah. and we got all the rookies have to do something. And Josh Shalla is one of those guys. And we do a quick there when Steve put Steve, our Olson, our videographer, when he put the thing together, he got this like quarter of a second clip that they just, sh they cut to, to shells and his face is like, Oh my God. Like I'm, I'm supposed to be a professional hockey player. What the <laughs> hell is going on right now? Like just this dazed look on his face. Meanwhile, you're just, behind him doing the doing the dance and there's a glitter ball and it's it's just pure chaos I'll, i'm sure i'm sure shala was just still drunk as all <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he often had that sort of dazed and confused look right exactly uh, like he had just rolled out of bed yeah uh but uh, that I, I i still say that's the greatest video we've ever done and a lot of the credit has to go to you because you bought in on that like there was no no hesitation on to any of the dancing uh, and, uh, or anything that we made you do. And like you said, you're hungover, and we made you stay like three hours after practice when you're probably just dying to get in the wrapper for a, a nap or two. Oh, exactly. That's all I wanted at the time. But I was like, you know what? We're going to do this, guys. We're going to do this. We're going to do it right. And you did. I would love to have seen your conversation with your agent after that and your subsequent contracts that – 
either you know declare you're not like, doing this anymore or you're going to get paid oh, yeah. for this. When he saw that, he called me and all he said was, what in the hell were you thinking? <laughs> I'm like, man, like our owner was such a great guy, Harris. Like he was awesome to us all the time. I'm like, he asked me to do it. I couldn't say no. He's like, all right, just promise me again. You're never going to do anything like that. I'm like, I hope I never have to do anything like that yeah. ever again. You know, when we saw a big uptick in those views was after you got traded from Nashville to Montreal. And oh, so yeah. all of a sudden, everyone from Montreal, I got to Google Victor Bartley. And I bet, I mean, I bet we went up 100% in views in about two months. Uh, uh, I believe that, you know, those, yeah, no kidding. those guys, are, those fans are crazy over there in Montreal. That's for sure. They'll find every part of your life. Yeah, for yeah. sure, <laughs> including great videos that you made. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you, you had mentioned we were talking about playing in Siberia. Um, you, you, last two seasons, you played in China. Uh, Correct. Next year, you're under contract for next year too, right? No, we're in negotiations right now, actually, to okay. hopefully lock a two-year deal in because we're, we're going to be hosting the 2022 Olympics. So our, we're essentially the Olympic team right now, so that's kind of our plan here is to ride that out and be the host team. I mean, I saw the – Actually, I just saw like the tournament groupings had come out after COVID had hit and like shutdowns all happened. And our pool was like Russia, Canada, America, and China. I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, they're really, they're really trying to hate, hate on us right now. I was just <laughs> yeah. going to say, you're the host team. Can't you get some, can't you be uh, Kazakhstan and, uh, I know, I'm like, you know, against like Germany. Lithuania or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> Germany won the silver the last time. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's that's very true. Germany's <laughs> really good, for sure. But but what has it been like? Um, we'll get to the the evacuation, so to speak, in a second. But what has it been like to play in China the last couple of years? Uh, it's been great, honestly. It's it's different as we last year we lived in Shanghai, which is the New York City of over there. So mm -hmm. everything is modern. Everyone speaks English. There was no issues. Whereas in Beijing, it's more of old world China. We found that the fans were more passionate in Beijing, but in terms of overall living, I think Shanghai was definitely an easier transition. Uh, Beijing, we all live downtown Beijing, and the, and the Olympic Arena is about an hour outside the city, city to the west. So okay. we're hauling back and forth an hour each time trying to get to the rink. So it just becomes quite a bit. But overall, playing in China, it's been it, the game's grown so much. I think it's almost it's get it, they're trying to hop on the same role like basketball was, you know, a decade ago. So. And that's, where, and, and that's where they're getting to as they're having the games over in China now, the NHL games and whatnot. So all that's starting to happen. People are starting to understand more of the game, and our fan base is growing immensely. Real quick, let me, let me be – for, for my clarification, Shanghai and Beijing, how far apart are they? Like, did, it, did the city tech – or did the team technically move, like, to the other side of the, yes. of the country so, or what? So technically before the team was in Beijing, then it moved to Shanghai, something about – uh, Hockey China and the Kunlun organization not seen eye to eye, so they had moved to Shanghai for two years, two or three years, and the plan was to always come back to Beijing because we're the host team for the 2022 Olympics, and that's the whole reason now. So last year we moved back to Beijing in hopes to get ready for it, and then all this stuff with COVID hit, so we're not even sure what's going to happen right now if we're even going to be in Beijing next year. I mean, it's kind of hard to say considering, you know, I don't think the Russian league is going to allow players or want their Russian players to travel into China anyways with the possibility of contracting something and coming back into Russia. So we're not even sure where our team's going to be located right now. I mean, there's so many options we're throwing up in the air, but then all those countries got hit by COVID as well. So it's, 
it's a tough spot. We're all kind of just sitting here in limbo waiting to see what happens and see what the league and what our team decides to do is so we can all start making plans accordingly. How, how did you end up in, uh, in China? Uh, so you played a year, you had the injury year of what was that? 16, yep. 17. Uh, yeah, 16, 17. I yep. tore my tricep in a preseason game with Minnesota wild with Minnesota. Yeah. How did that Listen, happen? What, what happened? Uh, I was lined up with somebody and then we just kind of got like a shoving match. And as I just pushed him, I just popped like the most random thing in the world. Yeah. It just popped. And all of a sudden I went to the bench and I was like, Oh, I popped my tricep. And they're like, there's no way that happened. I'm like, I've done it before. I'm like, just wait, it's happening. So, and then left lo and behold, took my elbow pad off and you could push all the way through my arm. Oh so you can tell you're like, there was no muscle. I couldn't straighten my arm. It was done. So I was in a cast for about four and a half to five months of recovery. Wow. Cause that was the second time I had torn it. So by that point, I'm like, Hey, my career is probably over. Cause I can't push anybody anymore. Let alone the fact of it popping. So I was like, all right, I'll go to Sweden then for a year where maybe the game's going to be a little, a little more soft, but that was a complete 180. That game is so high speed over there and everyone works so hard and works out so much that it was a real eye-opening experience. And then I had a really good year in Sweden. I loved it. But a lot of uh, friends of mine have played over in Kunlun and I saw their roster on defense and I knew I was like, I'm better than all those defensemen. I should be there, especially since I have Chinese heritage. Sure. So then I had reached out to my North American agent and put me in touch with a Russian agent and we got the ball rolling. And then it kind of just all fell together. Uh, they came in early on in April and the number was so low that it was pretty insulting actually. And then about a month before camp come late July or early July, he's like, all right, what do you want? And then I'm like, just want to be compensated fairly. So then we got a deal done and signed a two year deal. It's been great over there. It's definitely been tough being away from family, but they've traveled back and forth to make it easier and uh, hopefully got two more years then, and then we'll see what happens. So uh, a few years ago, Ryan Thang, a former Admiral was, uh, we thought he was going to be on the Korean hockey team for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't work out for him, but uh, there's a chance that, or like you said, you're hosting the Olympics. Beijing is hosting the Olympics in 2022. Is it because of your Asian heritage that you can be there? Or is it because of that you're on the team, a combination? What, nobody truly knows because obviously with the Korean team, how they got all those white players on the team right. to play. Uh, we believe it's like a two, it's a two year on the team of Kunlun based out of China gets you in plus your heritage as well, or it could be a mix or it could just be one or the other. Nobody truly knows right now. And so we're all just kind of sitting here waiting to see what's going to happen. But if you played there two years already, then you pretty much know that you're good to go for the Olympic team. And right now, I think yourself included, but I think you had told me of players of Chinese descent or Asian descent, Brandon Yip and Spencer Fu and guys like Tyler Wong, who played for the Wolves uh, yep. here in, in North America, right? Those are among the players. Yes, correct. Exactly. So we've got about eight or nine guys right now that play on the Kunlun team. And I'd say about seven or eight up and coming guys that play down to the VHL, which is the American league of Russia. Okay. Yeah. So there's quite a few up and down guys, but overall we'd have about nine solid players right now. So you've got, uh, we, and we talked with Michael Latta last week, you look at the the team, your roster this year, there's five or six former admirals on that team. Oh yeah. yeah. Even like, even last year we looked around the room. It was, it was like myself, Latta, Brandon. Yeah. Taylor back like we looked around and we're like man Milwaukee just sends all their players to China after they <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so we were all kind of dying laughing how everything kind of came full circle. I mean, all of us were like, man, imagine seven years ago I told you that you'd be playing in China. In, in China, when you're up partying on uh, Brady Street or whatever at uh, Joe exactly. Cats. Seriously, exactly. that's a movie. That's that's like uh, Mr. Baseball, the Tom Selleck movie, where all of a sudden he's a star in the majors and all of a sudden he's playing in Japan trying to get used to you get used to the life. Yeah, you really don't know. It's pretty crazy just to think that. All I mean, but uh, no, it kind of just came to be that way, and it's been it's been a whirlwind. But it's been crazy because a bunch of our players are now overseas in Russia that I used to play with. So anytime we travel to other Russian teams, there's always three, four, five other North American guys there. So it's always cool to grab dinner with those guys and kind of reminisce, being like, "Yeah, well, our career took us here now." Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about how your season ended over there. It, it, it could not have been easy, and I'm curious. What the um, was it a sudden situation or did you guys a sense coming there was something coming around Christmas time that that some something bad was happening? Um, I think it kind of hit us like early January that we kind of noticed things were starting to go bad because people had started about thirty percent of the people I'd say wear masks at all time in Beijing just because of the smog and the factories and everyone smokes there basically so thirty percent were wearing masks and then it started increasing and one day I walked out of the hotel and everybody was wearing a mask. Every single person, kids, old people, middle-aged. So we're like, hey, this is getting pretty serious. And nobody actually knew what was happening at the time. But then we had spoke about, hey, guys, like we got a, we got a big road trip coming up here. It's kind of good. We're getting out of China. Maybe this will all pass over. And then that 21st, we got a text from the GM at midnight saying, hey, guys, pack your stuff up. We're getting out of China right now. And just grab your carry-ons, basically. We'll figure everything else after the fact. And so basically, we got on the plane that day. A couple families had joined us as well. And we had found out about a couple hours in, hey, guys, we're not going to be returning to China. And so that was, we basically had to figure it out from there. We were living, checking in and out of hotels nonstop for 34 days. We had had, we had a home game versus the Red Army of Moscow at their practice arena. And they put our logo on their arena, which I couldn't imagine tasted too well to them to do that. Yeah. And... <laughs> So, and then we had another home game in Siberia when Siberia was traveling to Moscow to play one of their teams. So it was crazy. We were all over the map for 37, what was it? 34 days we were on the road, we traveled. That's insane. That is completely insane. And like when they first told you we're not coming back, did they, was it like, we're not coming back ever? Or is it like, we're just not coming back for, you know, like. It was like until we know exactly. How serious this is, we're not going to come back. And everyone's like, well, what about all of our stuff? And then, like, they just said, we'll figure it out once the time comes. Once we know it's safe to get your stuff out, then we will. And that time has not come yet. Still waiting. Still waiting. Unreal. That's ridiculous. Um, Yeah. uh, Let's talk about a little bit. Let's go back to your time in Milwaukee and uh, talk about how you ended up in Milwaukee. Very uh, not a traditional path uh, getting there, right? Uh, tell us about how you ended up playing, signing with Nashville or come and coming to Milwaukee. Yeah, sure. I was, uh, I had just finished my 20 year old year in junior hockey with the Regina Pats. And the following year I had signed a two way American league East coast deal with Bridgeport and Utah Grizzlies basically played the first 25 games down in Utah, got called up to Bridgeport, tore my tricep eight games in. That was the first time I <laughs> first time. Yeah. First time. And then, it was tough. I mean, that summer I couldn't even get an American League tryout. It was pretty tough. My agent's like, all right, well, I had this one guy. He went overseas to Sweden, and then he came back, and he had done really well. So 
he's like, would you want to try that route? And at the time, you know, you're not making much money in the East Coast League. So I was like, all right, I'll, get, I'll go to Sweden. I'll give it a chance. I was only 21, so I thought it'd be a good time to go over. So I went over there, had a really good season. It actually started off horrible. Like I was playing two minutes a night. And then halfway through the season, I started ramping up a bit. Then I finished, I think, second on our team in points. Like I just went on a tear out of nowhere. Don't even know how that even happened. And then that season had ended. I had signed in the Swedish Elite League with the team in Stockholm for the next season. I was really excited about that considering where I was nine right. months before. And I just touched down in Vancouver after the season on my flight. And my agent called me and was kind of laughing. Like right away, as soon as I answered the phone, he's like, what's up, Dan? He's like, hey, uh, I got a couple offers for you. And I said, hey, I don't want an American League offer. The money's great over in Sweden. I'm just going to take it and be happy over there. Like try living the Euro life for a few years. He said, no, I've got a couple NHL offers for you. And I was like, whoa, what? Last year I couldn't even get an American League tryout. Now I got NHL contracts. And then he had ran me through all the numbers, and he said, all right, take your pick, Vic. And then of the teams that were available, Nashville just seemed like the best choice at the time. They were still kind of rebuilding. There was chance to move up quickly within the ranks. And at the time, they only had one big prospect in mind there that they had. So I was like, all right, I can try to challenge this guy for a spot. And that's just kind of how it went. And from there, I came into the next year in Milwaukee. was a lockout season. So that was even tougher, actually, because yeah. then the league was that much better. But I was put in a good position. I uh, played with the sheriff, Scott Ford. And uh, <laughs> he was my D partner. He would, uh, he'd look after me, make sure I didn't get knocked around too much. And I teach him, I teach him how to skate. And, uh, <laughs> well, if, if you ask Dean Evison, you didn't do a very good job. <laughs> no, not at all. That's why they never hired me. And, uh, yeah, so that was it. And, yeah, I played a year there. I uh, had a really good first season there. And the next season, um, the lockout was lifting halfway through. And then by that point, lockout ended. A couple other guys got called up. And then I was called up about a week later, actually. And by that point, I remember because Nashville was trying to sign me to a two-year extension at the time, but it was for a two-way and it wasn't like the greatest amount of money. And then I said, I was like, well, I'll just take whatever I can get at this point. I mean, at the, I, you really don't know your value at the time, you know what I mean? Right. While the NHL just started open, I'd never been in this position before. So my agent had flown down to Milwaukee and we were, I think we were sitting at like a, a white spot or something like that, or I don't know, a Denny's. And he's like, all right, let's sign this. And then as I was going to sign it, he just stopped me. And he was like, you know what? Let's wait. Let's wait a bit. He's like, I got a feeling something's going to happen. I was like, okay, why not? Sure. Waited two weeks, three weeks later, nothing. Then about three and a half weeks later, I got a call. For, or Dean Evison calls me in his office. He's like, hey, Bart, you're going up. I'm like, well, for how long? He's like, just pack your stuff. Just go. And I was like, okay. And I knew Nashville was out of the playoffs at the time. So that was my kind of chance. I knew they were just going to give me a chance regardless because – I was a younger guy. They might as well play me a lot. They have nothing to lose at this point. And then from there, I kind of just steamrolled, and it was great. I mean, I went in there. I played 24, I played 24 straight games to finish the season. I played really well. And then that summer, I'd signed a three-year extension all one way. So I was You're in. moving thrilled. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story in that you bet on yourself, but you were kind of forced to bet on yourself in this whole thing, which is really, oh, really weird. Completely. Yeah, because even, even like all coming up through juniors, like I was always a top-end player there, but just never got recognized, didn't get drafted, always got passed over, passed over, and then it why, came to why, the point where I you, finally got – Why was that? Is that because you played out west? Is no, it, I, there, there could be so many factors why I wasn't drafted. Who, who, whoever knows. Or yeah. The main thing was I was never going to focus on why not. I mean, at the end of the day, someone always told me if you're good enough, you're going you're gonna to find, gonna make it gonna find you. Yeah. You're going to make it regardless. So that was right. always kind of the way I looked at it. 
And luckily I'd come along, I'd beat a couple guys out for their positions that were their drafted players. And then from there, it kind of just, like I said, it snowballed and things got better and things got better. And then it's fortunate enough to play, you know, three years there in and out of the lineup all the time, but I was still happy. Your first year in Milwaukee, uh, you had a breakout year, but it was an odd year, at least from a coach's perspective, because you start the year with Kirk Muller, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, he bolts after 17 games, and now you got to get used to a whole new coach. How was that transition for – what was it like for, to have Kirk as a coach, and then how was the transition to Ian Herbers after that? Oh, it was just different because, obviously, you know, everyone knows – Kurt, obviously, he was like, you know, an NHL superstar, and he was a real real player's coach. And then Herbie came in. I, I didn't know much about Herbie at the time, but overall, I mean, he was a great coach in terms of he was a defenseman when, when he played the game. He was such a big man. He taught how to use more stick position and size rather than if you're a small guy, you got to figure out other ways around it. So for him, he kind of helped me develop my game a little more and kind of helped me get to that next step. And he said, this is what you're going to need to be able to play at the next level, Bart. So he was always great to me about that, so – Always thank him for, for what he did for me to get me to that point. So <laughs> then, it's, then it's the lockout year, like you said, um, which it, that stuff is weird. I mean, it's, it's kind of like it is right now. The se- when the season is on hold and the NHL isn't playing, it's just I – I, from a player's perspective, I can't imagine what it's like just trying your best to wait it out and have patience because we, as a society, we are an impatient society. No, of course. I mean, for lucky for us, I mean, lucky for the players of Milwaukee at the time, all of Nashville's defensemen were all on one-way contracts, so they couldn't have came down regardless. And they hadn't signed any other high-end two-way defensemen at high, high deals. So for us, the guys that were already set in place, we were set in stone again. It was the same roster coming back again. So, so we were over the moon, the fact of where, you know, some other teams like Oklahoma City, who right. had Jordan Eberle, Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Schultz, Ryan, yeah. Dustin, like all these guys come down to the minors. And you're like, okay, this is really fair. You're playing against guys that make $25 million, but just because they're <laughs> just, under a certain age, they can still play here. Right. Yeah. So that, that was kind of a crazy thing to happen. But like I said, we were very fortunate to be in Milwaukee at the time with the roster and the amount of ice time we all got. And we all kind of rotated evenly, so it was great. Yeah. What do, what, what do you remember from your time in Milwaukee? You spent part, parts of three seasons there. Uh, and, and always one of the more popular players. You got you know such an outgoing personality. Obviously, that that helps a great deal. But what do you remember from playing in Milwaukee? Just the just the town overall. I mean, we had such a young group of guys at the time that we we're all so hungry just to kind of like live on our own for the first time. And you know, we had Fordo taking us out all the time, showing us all the restaurants and the bars, and introduce us to everybody. So by the time you know halfway through that first year, everyone's kind of making their own connections and the city was so great at the time so it was definitely an interesting year and you know love Milwaukee in general that's important isn't it I mean you gotta meet I think when young players come in they gravitate here's three guys that played in the OHL and I played in the OHL so these are the three guys I'm gonna hang out with but it's and as you grow and mature a little bit it's important to get out and get away get friends away from hockey yeah and that's something I've always said I, got, I noticed that big time when I got to Nashville too was I think it's just as important to have friends outside of the game as it is in the game. They keep you grounded. They expand your horizons more in terms of you're not just focusing on hockey 24-7. You're not living that same in-the-bubble lifestyle that 99% of the population doesn't live in. So, you know, having friends outside that do music, have regular jobs, it was great to see that and to have down-to-earth people that aren't complaining about, oh, I didn't play enough minutes last night or coach doesn't like me this week or something like that. So it was just kind of nice to always – have friends outside of the game. Yeah. 
And speaking of outside the game, like you have started, you took this step a, a while ago, maybe it was when you're in, in your injury year to sort of set yourself up for life after hockey. Cause you're not going to play until you're 50 years old or may, I mean, you'd hope to, but you probably, the odds are stacked against you. Uh, so talk about what you're doing right now uh, from a business perspective. Yeah, sure. So when I was 27, I tore my tricep for the second time and uh, sorry, this actually started two years before that actually in Nashville, my first season, I'd spent my entire first year salary on rental properties. Wow. I, brought, I bought three properties right away, right off the bat here. And they just made the, the numbers made the numbers made sense just because yeah. in terms of, of return on investment perspective, it was, I'm buying a place for $200,000 that only cost me 20% to put down on top of that. Sure. And at the end of the day, if my mortgage is only going to be $1,200, but someone's willing to pay me $2,400, I'm making an extra $1,200 a month, you know? Yeah. So the numbers just added up. So I kept doing that and I would buy places just down the street from Vanderbilt University, the medical university. So I'm like, if someone's going here, their parents are going to want them to be somewhere safe, somewhere gated, somewhere that's got, you know, nice bedrooms, brand new. And so that was never an issue. So I was like, hell, a light just went off in my head. So I started doing that more and more. And before I knew it, it was, you know, I had torn my tricep that year and I continued to buy more and more real estate. And then one day a couple of guys came to me and they're like, you got to make this into a business because I had done everything by myself for so long. And players always ask me, how do you figure this out? Did you go to school? I'm like, I have a high school diploma. That's all yeah. I have, but it's, it's called Google. Like anyone yeah, right. can do it. It just takes a lot of time, a lot of work and a lot of reading but anything you're thinking in your head that you don't know what to do, I guarantee somebody's already asked that question before yep. online. So all you got to do is go Google it and you can figure the it answers out. answers are there. And that's all I did for the entire year. I just researched and researched and kept doing it more and more on my own. And then just from acquiring property, setting people up with lenders, insurance people, uh, getting them renters, getting the whole works basically. So then I started this company called 64 Investments. 64 was my number here in Nashville when I played. So that kind of, and, and in Milwaukee, obviously. And in Milwaukee. Yeah. So that's, that's all just kind of how it all came to be. So started 64 investments and I've got uh, about 10 clients right now that we've all acquired rental properties for, and we're helping them manage their properties through this crisis right now and hopefully protect everyone's investment and return some positive cash flow. That's tremendous. That is, that's tremendous. fantastic. Cause I mean, yeah. I think you've obviously know many players that, they're playing. All their focus is is playing, and uh, their agent is talking about their, uh, you know, that they've got a, they got a safer retirement and look after your playing days. But how many guys are really listening? You'd list. Not only did you listen, you took, you you were active participant in getting ready. That's that's really impressive. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's always the main thing. Because at the end of the day, guys are always gonna. It doesn't matter how much you make. One million, ten million. Like your guys can find ways to blow money. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I always said, I'm like, I'm never gonna be the guy that blows all his money. I'm gonna be the guy that made himself from the hockey player to the businessman, the family man, the whole works. That right. was always kind of how it went. And then I don't want to say like I preach this stuff a lot, but whenever somebody brings it up to me, I can talk for hours about it and the different ways you can do it to be profitable basically. So that's how it kind of came to be. And from there we just kept growing and growing. And before I knew it, this whole thing kind of popped off and then guys from different leagues were reaching out to me, NHL, AHL, KHL, German league. So it all kind of just blew up from there just from kind of networking. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. Great. That's really yeah. great. Congratulations on all your success. Good luck, uh, Victor, uh, with the upcoming season. Hopefully everything get, gets straightened out for everybody. Um, and all the best to you. Great to see you. Great to talk to you. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Good chat. All right. Really thanks, appreciate Bart. it. Former Admirals defenseman Victor Bartley joining us. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.